Support for this episode comes from Viator. Experiences are what people love the most about travel. That's why Viator has over 300,000 bookable experiences, so there's always something for everyone. They offer everything from simple tours to extreme adventures. Plus, Viator's travel experiences have millions of real traveler reviews, so you have the information you need to book the best activities for your trip. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. One app, over 300,000 travel experiences you'll remember. Do more with Viator. You ready? Welcome back, everyone, to Buff Hub, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm your host, Steve Vega, and today I have a, I guess you're West Coast. I don't know if you're Central. I get irritated with the time zones. I don't care. Steve Judge Mates from Bill's Guys, Buffalo Fanatics, the Air Raid podcast. I love this guy so much. Um, Shout out to your boy who couldn't make it tonight. I know that he's dealing with his son. I was dealing with my son last week, so (laughs) I know how it goes. But you're here. Welcome back. Thank you, man. Hey, it's it's been like I think it's been almost a year, or at least like six months, like a football year. You know, that's funny you mentioned that because yeah, I think I literally hosted you right before I went and deployed, and uh, man, it was uh, I've, I've been having this itch to get back in touch with you, get back in touch with several people, but uh, you know, every single time, I'm not gonna lie to you, Steve. Here's the thing. I feel like I'm talking to myself because I'm Steve, but here's here's the thing, man. Um, every time I have this beer. It's called 805 from uh, Firestone Walker Brewing Company. I think about you. And um, <laughs> I, I get all fuzzy inside and, and, and different songs go in my head. And uh, here we are. We're, we're back I, together again. Uh, you said you went to the you went to the brewery, right? Yes. I have I have been to the Firestone Walker tasting room. I am absolutely huge fan of, of Firestone Walker. And it's believe it or not, you can actually get it on the East Coast now. If you go to like Target and stuff. They have the Firestone Walker 805s, and they have the Firestone Walker variety packs. But so Firestone Walker's been blowing up the past couple of years. But um, we have this Top Golf right by my house, and I like to go to Top Golf and uh, you know hit some uh, hit some golf balls every once in a while. And it's just pictures of 804 or 805, and uh, and uh, and uh, you know hitting dingers uh, at, at Top Golf. It's one of my favorite things to do. Oh, I dropped. Look, I dropped Yingling. I've dropped the Brooklyn Brown Ale. I've dropped Ooh, Bud Light. I love Brooklyn I've, too, though. It, yeah, but it, it, I, I can't. I can't get over the taste of 805. I just can't. Yeah, it is good. I've been drinking. Uh, lately, it's this uh, Flagstaff uh, beer. They sell it at some Trader Joe's. I don't know if it's Trader Joe's in the West Coast or uh, in the East Coast. It might just be a West Coast thing. But uh, Tower Station IPA. Ah, oh. And uh, my uh, sister-in-law, she, uh, her brother works at the brewery, uh, Mother Road Brewery in Flagstaff, and she just brings me like. They're, they're 10 bucks for a four pack at, oh boy. At, at the grocery store. She brings me, <laughs> she brings me 20 beers like every month. She'll just, just a satchel of beers. She'll just bring it all load up my fridge. So I don't have to pay a dime for them. It's wonderful. Oh my gosh. Okay. Give me an IPA with grapefruit. I love it. Anything else. I can't <laughs> do it. Get like this sharp headache and I'm sitting there like a wuss, but, um, dude, we can talk about beer all day, but I think the people want to hear about the bills. Uh, <laughs> so I think we'll, we'll talk more about beer at the Possibly. end of this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like last time we ended up just going on a rant. Um, dude. So obviously, well, obviously, right. There's a huge aura around the bills. Now we're the top dog. Uh, 
And, you know, I'm going to say they're better than the Cardinals, right? Before we get into this Chiefs thing, get on my, get on my, uh, you know, on my porch here, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> and I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to say this, a Hail Mary still doesn't make you better than the Buffalo Bills. Okay. The mm-hmm. Bills are in control of the NFL. I feel that Josh Allen is the equivalent of Giannis Anatekakumbo, however the heck you say his name. He, yeah. He's just this, he's this freak of nature that it's going to take everyone on the defense to stop. Right. And everyone's, you know, you want to talk about, we'll talk about the chiefs. Now, look, here's the thing. I get it. Chris Jones wasn't in there. You had Frank Clark and everyone else was healthy. As far as I knew on the defense, it's not our fault. If Josh Allen exploits a matchup, Sorensen versus Dawson Knox in this game. And I thought that was an amazing job by him. And we'll get into that more later, but obviously we, we got to talk about, you know, two baddest bills you saw and two saddest bills you saw. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I just kind of want to funnel this down as to, uh, you know, what we saw on the field. I know everyone's talking about, you know, the broader topics, but let's talk about players here in particular that maybe, you know, there's not a spotlight on that, uh, you know, as bills fans and anyone listening, um, you know, NFL listeners alike. Uh, let me ask you, Steve, what do you have, uh, as your two baddest bills, which we're going to talk about your, you know, the greatest bills on the field versus, um, your two saddest bills. You can start. Yeah, no, for sure. And, and back to your point about the Cardinals too. I mean, I'm out here in Cardinals country and, and they're pretty pumped. Uh, their Twitter account was pretty salty the other day. Um, posting pictures of Buffalo ranked number one in a lot of the power rankings saying like, what's the deal here? We're the undefeated team, but the Buffalo bills pulling out some of my notes from my show, uh, the other night, 12, po- 12.8 points per game. The Buffalo bills allowed first in the NFL. 34.4 points per game scored first in the NFL, 15 takeaways first in the NFL plus 108 scoring margin first in the NFL. <laughs> Second is the Cardinals at like plus 67. So sorry, Cardinals. I understand the Buffalo Bills took a week to wake up, uh, but you're not the best football team in the National Football League. The Buffalo Bills are. And quite frankly, it's not even close because of the historic start that they've been off to. Uh, but nothing but respect to the Cardinals uh, because they are my they're, they're my new they're my new they're my new B team. They're my new. Oh, I'll watch them at I'll watch them in the afternoon after I watch the Bills in the one o'clock hour. But uh, well, I guess the one o'clock hour is Cardinals <laughs> out here. But uh, it, it's fun to have a second team to root for and a second team to uh, keep an eye on. And 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 trust me, they are good. That you, you could be seeing a Bills Cardinals Super Bowl this year. They're, the talent on both sides of the ball is so good that they're overcoming Vance Joseph and Cliff Kingsbury. That's how good they are. Uh, that's how good the talent is on that Arizona Cardinals roster. But my two. Baddest Bills. Number one, I'm going to go with Zach Moss. Okay. Because, you know, I, I talk on my show all the time about how I think that it truly is you got to ride whoever's having the hot hand. And I still believe that. And I still think there are going to be games this year where possibly Devin Singletary is the hot hand. But the last couple of weeks, Zach Moss has been the hot hand. And I think you mentioned before we started that Zach Moss was out touching Devin Singletary in this game, like 70% to 30%. It was uh, seven, it, 74% exactly, actually. Yeah, I, so it, it was noticeable. And and that that drive that Josh Allen had to, to put the game away where he had the leap and he had that touchdown pass to, to Manuel Sanders at the end, Devin Singletary started that drive. Zach Moss finished it. Uh, and, and Zach Moss just brings an element, whether it's in the passing game, whether it's getting those extra yards, turning things upfield and, 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 and getting more out of the play. He's just been, he's just been better reading. He's had better vision the last couple of games. He's been getting more yak. 
uh, whether it's in it's, it's on carries or in the receiving game. Zach Moss has been the X factor the past couple of weeks that Devin Singletary just has not been. Absolutely. Okay, and who do you got? Who do you have second? Oh, uh, I'm going to go Daryl Williams only because uh, I, I know there are plenty of people to choose from, and, and I don't any no disrespect to the defense. I'm going to mention Ed Oliver later on the show for another one of your questions. Mm-hmm. And obviously, there's Gregory Rousseau and Micah Hyde and Shermaine Edmonds who are all phenomenal, and I'm sure you're going to mention some of them. But last week, Spencer Brown made his first career start at right tackle, and yep. the talking point after was, well, Spencer Brown is now the right tackle. Daryl Williams was kind of like meh at right guard. Oh, he found his footing this week, and 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 Daryl Williams was pushing some people around, especially on those Josh Allen quarterback runs, design runs, and some of those Zach Moss runs. Daryl Williams found his footing, and he has secured his spot as the starting right guard on this football team, leaving left guard really as the only weak spot because John Feliciano, in my opinion, still uh, wasn't so hot over there on the left-hand side at left guard. Oh, well, we can talk about Spencer Brown. Uh, you know, and obviously, thank you, Daryl Williams, for finally showing up at the right tackle. Uh, you, you really, uh, I, oh my gosh, Daryl Williams. Uh, he was getting me really nervous, um, especially coming out of that first game against Pittsburgh. But um, to, I got to jump off of one of your guys you mentioned here because, uh, you know, this is basically what I'm basing this whole podcast on. We're hooked on the Bills, right? Well, I got to play this real quick. Give me two seconds. <laughs> All right, guys, you get the picture. Number one baddest bill is going to Gregory Russo. I am Groot, boy. Got an <laughs> INT. He's getting pressure all game. And every, okay, that song comes up and, you know, it's in my head every single time he makes a play. It's like he's so quiet, um, but he's such a, he's such a vicious dude, um, you know, coming off the edge now. And it, it's what we've waited for, right? Um, mm-hmm. it, you know, it's, it's, we wanted someone who can just, if they're going to, okay, if they're going to put one guy on him, great, but let's get someone on the edge who can just out muscle someone, especially going up against a top contender, like, you know, the Kansas city chiefs. And, um, I'm going to keep speeding here because I want to get to your, uh, two status bills here. So my second here is going to special teams drum roll, dude, Isaiah McKenzie held it down. I get there wasn't a, there wasn't a huge return. There wasn't this, there wasn't that. You know what? I loved that whenever he didn't want to return it, he said, Nope, I'm not returning it. It was, he was playing. Yes, it was conservative, but he was playing smart. He was, he hadn't, he had the mentality of we need field position and I need to make sure I'm letting our special teams know we need to get this in order. We need to get this in check now. Uh, you know, and, and, and that's something that, you know, obviously he had, he had a little zap here and there throughout the game. But for me, I'm just thankful we had no turnovers on special teams. You know, yeah, I'll tell you what, that th- that third quarter when the NFL officials might have been letting the Kansas City Chiefs back in it a little bit. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> every time, you know, Kansas City went to punt like the Bills would hold the Chiefs or whatever. I, he's been good this year and, you know, uh, all those things. And I've, I've said all the right things about Isaiah McKenzie, et cetera, et cetera. There have been some people, you know, harping on him uh, about some of his decision makings on on kick and punt returns, but like I was super nervous. <laughs> yeah. In yeah, those man. conditions, every time they were punting and the Buffalo Bills had that lead that they were trying to hold on to. Oh man, I was just like, all right, please kick it out of bounds. Just fair catch it and hold on to it. Like I I didn't need to see him return anything that game. And I was happy he made the wise decision uh on most of those occasions there. Well it, it's a small thing, but it's a huge thing 
against the team where you can't have those mental errors where you feel like you need to make a play. No, you don't. We have the lead. We're in control of the game. Don't do anything stupid. Don't pull God. What I forgot his name. Oh my gosh. Okay. But you remember, you know, it was the Brady comeback game and you know, we have Trent Edwards and we have Terrell Owens. Yeah, uh, I was there. Gosh, it was Leotis McKelvin. McKelvin. Leotis, you were there. I Leotis was there. McKelvin <laughs> wanted to be a hero and run it up the middle and, and get the ball stripped. And there goes the momentum. It, it, I was waiting for something like that to happen and how we were going to overcome it. And it didn't happen. So that stuck out to me as the Bills are playing championship football. Okay, so let's get to the two, to, to the two saddest Bills here. Uh, who do you got for number one and two? I'm going with Cole Beasley and John Feliciano. Uh, you know, Sean McDermott came out afterwards and said, you know, hey, the game plan was, uh, you know, not to to give it to, to Cole Beasley. But, I mean, players have been feasting over the middle of this the Kansas State defense for for weeks How and, and underneath, really, frankly. How Cole Beasley wasn't a part of this game plan, I have no idea. Um, so, you know, it, it really it stinks for him to, to to be a decoy in a game where if you looked at the matchup, he should have been feasting. So it'll be really interesting to see how Cole Beasley bounces back. And then John Feliciano still just didn't look comfortable back there. I mean, he's still just he's missing assignments. He's whiffing on blocks. He's not one of the things that I've noticed he struggles. He struggles with when there's no one to block. Right. Like, what do I do now? And he kind of just stands there <laughs> and he doesn't really know what to do. And he doesn't know how to help properly. And there's just so many plays where he's caught flat footed and he's just caught doing, you know, so many just ridiculous things. And then, uh, you know, we can we can upgrade that left guard position. I wouldn't mind seeing Ike Buckner back there, to be honest with you. Uh, If I if I were if I were the GM of the football team, I would be pulling the plug on John Feliciano. Wow. What a that's such a powerful statement there. And, you know, it, it, it sucks because. God, it's it's the grit that he brings and the personality and and the swag that he brings to the offensive line. And it, it is one of those things where it may not be enough. Um my my question for him is where's the grit? Where's the grit between the whistles? I see the grit after I see him flexing after plays. I see him shoving guys after, you know, Josh Allen's been tackled late. Where is that? Where is that physicality during the play? That's what's missing. Like, give yeah. that to me during the play that's what i want to see from him like he he seems all alert and he seems really engaged after the whistle i want to see it before the whistle yeah well it looks like you know we really have nothing to worry about anymore at the guard position with big show (laughs) (laughs) we got you got big show you know pushing up you know things up the middle and uh you know it's did you see that little play that happened a post play where they had their rookie linebacker try to push him and he's just like he put his hand like at his at his chest he's like yeah dude uh you know, think twice about that. It's his favorite thing to do. And I love it. (laughs) Yeah, it's great. Um, all right. So let me give you my two saddest bills. All right. So here's the thing, man. Um, 74% of the snaps go to Zach Moss. I'm looking at Devin Singletary and I have a sad face. All right. Um, typically you want to see those snaps go 50, 50, but it makes me sad because unfortunately, this may have been the game that finally exposed what you know what's holding us back at that position against a team like this. Look, Devin Singletary is probably going to play great against our division. Probably going to play great next week. But as far as us getting over the hump against you know he you know the team that should not be named you know whatever like I don't care like the Chiefs needed to be beat and we beat them with Zach Moss. Mm-hmm. 70, 74% of the snaps went to Zach Moss. So, yeah, I mean, I got a sad face for Singletary. Uh, you know, second sad face is going to go to uh, Tommy Sweeney. 
look, Tommy, uh, we don't have Zach Ertz right now, and you're splitting up, <laughs> you're splitting up the snaps with uh, with Dawson Knox. Maybe not splitting them up completely, but fact of the matter is that they didn't go and get Zach Ertz. Well, I don't know if it was for the price. Who knows? Fact of the matter is Zach Ertz is not on the roster. If Dawson Knox goes down, what do you think the Buffalo Bills are probably going to do? Trade for a tight end because they're sure they sure as hell are not going to believe that you're going to be the guy to be able to carry this. And all the Jaguars and beg for Jacob Hollister back. Yeah, exactly. Right. So you know Hollister's gone. You beat out Hollister, which okay, fine. Uh, you're still on the roster, and they're giving you a shot. And I like that about the Bills, but you know, however he may get involved, I don't know because I personally don't think that maybe he's going to be an asset in the passing game, but you would like to see a dual threat at the tight end position for the bills because yeah, eventually you're going to start seeing uh, the superstar that is becoming Dawson Knox. He's going to get double covered. Mm -hmm. And when they run a double tight end set, uh, you know, you want a guy that can, you know, stretch the field a little bit. Look at Howard. You look at Gronkowski over in Tampa. It really does a lot of dynamic things for Brady. Okay. So talking about um, obviously the, dynamic <laughs> bills, right? We have the defensive side popping off. The offensive side just feels like they write the ship. I got to ask you, Steve, who is the hotter coaching candidate now? Look, you got this whole fiasco with John Gruden happening. Uh, you got the fiasco with, uh, uh, you know, Herbert, the pervert down in Jacksonville, uh, you know, is who, who's the hotter coaching candidate, Leslie Frazier or Brian Dable? I'm going to go with Brian Dable and I'm going to go with Brian Dable for uh, three reasons. Number one is age. I, I think that Leslie Frazier, it stinks, but I mean, when you're 60 plus years old, I, I, I think that your opportunities are going to uh, be limited. I think when you see those guys minus David Cully, those guys who get hired that are older are guys like with like a, a pedigree, right? Like, or like, just a weird move like art shell like um so it's 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 usually like when those guys get hired like the shanahan's and the joe gibbs etc that are older it comes with that pedigree that leslie frazier just unfortunately does not have number two i think he does still have the stigma that he coordinates the side of the ball that the head coach is also an expert in mm. uh, so i think that is a second stigma against him as much as sean mcdermott is going to praise Leslie Frazier. I think there will still be owners out there who see Leslie Frazier more of an extension of Sean McDermott than his own man. Um, and then finally, number three, uh, I can't believe I'm going to quote Michael Bidwell, uh, <laughs> the owner, the owner of the uh, Arizona Cardinals. But when he hired Cliff Kingsbury a couple years ago, he said, listen, you got to go out and you got to find who you think is going to be the best offensive play caller for your young quarterback. And you got to hire him to be your head coach. Mm -hmm. Why? Because if you hire him to be your offensive coordinator, he won't be there in two years. Uh, <laughs> so when, when you coordinate an offense, you're Brian Dable, right? Um, you know, you're a team who's out there looking to groom a young quarterback the way he's groomed Josh Allen, whether it be the Raiders moving on from Derek Carr and drafting a Matt Corral or a, 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 a I mean, the Malik Willis said the draft class is weak, uh, whether it's another team trying to resurrect a quarterback, et cetera. I mean, whatever the situation may be, you're going to want to hire Brian Dable because you don't want your young quarterback as he develops within the first year or the second year or the third year. You don't want to see him lose that sounding board that he's had. You don't want to see him have to change systems and verbiage and all that stuff. So 
even though you probably make the argument that Leslie Frazier is the more experienced coach, Leslie Frazier might be the more calming influence. Leslie Frazier's defense might be, you know, outperforming Brian Dable's offense, et cetera, et cetera, whatever arguments you want to make. Uh, there, there are plenty of people out there who might agree that Leslie Frazier is the better coach. I think even those people would agree that Brian Dable is the better hire just for the simple fact that he coaches offense and it's 2020, 21. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I got to be honest with you, um, Steve, I, I guess I disagree because of, I think that what availability is there with what is there. I'm looking at Jacksonville and I'm looking at Las Vegas. Yep. I'll be honest with you, man. I I really feel that what's missing is a great defense in Las Vegas. Look, Look, let me tell you something. If I'm, if I'm the Raiders, I want my defense back and I want my defense great again. Because my offense is there. I got Darren Waller. I got Derek Carr. I got I got Jacobs. Um, you know Henry Ruggs. It's not too hard to figure out how to score points. The issue with the Raiders and listen, I've been living out here. I've been watching their games. You just look at a very leaky, weird defense. It's super weird defense. <laughs> I, I don't understand. Super weird. <laughs> well, here's what it is too. You don't have a coach that knows how, knows player management. So what I love about Sean McDermott versus let's say versus John Gruden. He knows how to take care of his players as far as uh, I would say he does a way better job. Could he sharpen up? Yeah. Look at Matt Milano getting hurt off a bogus game. I'm just talking about the team at large, you know, player risk management. I think that that's a big problem that I've always seen the Raiders have with John Gruden. He runs his players into the ground. There's zero rotation and it's always the defensive side of the football. Go look at the roster. It's yeah. depleted. It's gone. Jonathan Abram. I don't know who's how. That's, how Jonathan, he, that's his own damn fault though. Jonathan Abram plays like a madman. But you write the ship by teaching him how to hit better. We mm. need you on the field, dude. We want our defense to be great. You need to play this. Way. Well, I'm just saying it's a coaching factor in my yeah. opinion, right? John Gruden just lets them run rampant and do whatever they want. And then he's walking on the field every other quarter because he has a great player coming off the field with a torn ACL, a concussion, a labrum, you name it. And I think yeah. a guy like Leslie Frazier going in there with the offensive pieces already in place, bring in a coordinator that you trust a young guy. Maybe, you, you know, he gets groomed for two years, leaves, whatever, but you get your, you get the team back to the playoffs that's what you bring in Leslie Frazier back. That's what you bring I, Leslie Frazier in for. Now, I, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. I, I just, I don't know if this would be insulting to Leslie Frazier, but if I, I if I owned an NFL franchise, I'm just being honest with you. If you own an NFL franchise and you are the owner of the team and you want to set your team up, not just for the next year or the next two years, but the next 10 years, the next 15 years, are you really calling Leslie Frazier? Is that really the dude who walks into the room and wows you? Is that really the dude that you want to? Is that really the dude that well, you want to 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 back and 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 to put your money behind? Well, you just shut down Mahomes with <laughs> with uh, you know uh, a defense that had no Matt Milano. Finally, get Star Latula back, and you don't have a solid proven uh, cornerback. You know CB two. You're making it work, and you stop a stellar offense like the Chiefs from popping off. That for me is enough. If I'm the Raiders, that's enough. Now, if I'm the Raiders, there are other teams that, yeah, like the Jaguars, they're looking at Brian Dayball and they are salivating for next year to get rid of Urban Meyer because it's like, look, we can bring in a guy who can groom our quarterback, build our offense the way we want them, and hopefully bring in a guy on the defensive side that can help us right the ship here to make it make sense. We got Trevor Lawrence. 
And it, it should have been the biggest splash in the NFL, which feels like it's just kind of a ripple in the water at this point. Uh, it, what, what a letdown, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but again, I, I'm looking at, I'm, I'm looking at which I'm trying to teeter, I, teeter tot here. And I'm just kind of like, you know what? Yeah. I feel like because of, because of what happened last year, I thought Brian Dable had the, had the job in the bag in LA. You, are you he did, kidding? He did. Are you and that's kidding? Why the, and, yeah. and that's why the Buffalo Bills wanted to change the rules because the Buffalo Bills truly do care about Brian Dable and Leslie Frazier's future. And I, I think Sean McDermott does want to see, despite the fact that it hurts them, he wants to see them be head coaches again. Brian Dable and, and Tom, Tom Telesco were, were, were college roommates or high school best friends or something, some, something like that from back in their day at like St. Francis or whatever, or St. John Fisher. I don't know what it was, but something from their past, like they were buddies, like childhood buddies. And um, you have Justin Herbert there after he had just, you know, resurrected Josh Allen into a MVP runner up. I mean, that was literally the situation. Uh, but because Brian Dable couldn't interview because they couldn't hire him, they brought in Brandon Staley for an interview. They were absolutely wowed. And then they had a chance to bring him in for a second interview. Yeah. And were absolutely wowed. So <laughs> Brian Dable got screwed over simply for the fact that, like, he didn't really have a chance to compete like he probably would have had the leg up if he had the chance to compete if he had the chance to prepare like brandon staley did if he had the chance to maybe you know match wits and get that second interview like brandon staley did maybe brian dable would have had a more of a puncher's chance at that at that charges job that many people assumed he was the front runner for um and and that's where sean mcdermott was like listen why the hell do you need to hire your head coach before the super bowl like why do you need this dude like why do you need to have your staff in place like all this you know blah 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 like why why? Why do you need that? Like, what really? Three weeks is, is really such a like an advantageous position for you. The drafts in May, <laughs> like, like it's you're not the general manager or anything like that. So it's just it's super weird. It's just it's super a, it's weird, what, the hiring policy. Yeah, I mean it's it's a horrible policy. Obviously, you don't want your talent to feel like it's already going out the door and you're trying to win a Super Bowl. It's just this just how it is. And Brian Dable is a, a you know very extremely amazing asset for the bills to have. I mean, resurrecting our offense and making us look like we're back in the nineties and, um, you know, Leslie Frazier, you know, right in the ship towards the end of the season. But now we're starting to see the defense is taking control of his team and the offense is, is following. I guess that's yeah. kind of where the trend is I, at. And now, okay, we're good because you look mm-hmm. at, you look at the Pittsburgh game, the defense did their freaking job. The offense didn't. Right. So then the offense has to really show up against, you know, a, a couple of bummy teams, which, you know, they, they had studs on them, don't get me wrong, but you're looking back now. Yeah, they're kind of bummy. Um, but then both of them really had to come into the table here and make it happen against the Chiefs. And, you know, here we are sitting. <laughs> Gr- Gruden's out, and, uh, you know, you, you, you got Urban Meyer probably looking on his way out at the end of the season too, maybe earlier. Who knows with everything going on. If I'm Brian Dable, though, like no no offense to the, uh, the Raiders job, no offense to the Jaguars job, but those would not. I think Brian Dable's going to have his pick of the litter. I, I really do. I mean, this is a guy who's who's coached under Saban. It's a guy who's coached under Belichick. And this is a guy who this year could likely win a Super Bowl under Sean McDermott. I mean, he has Josh Allen. <laughs> He's got Josh Allen that he uh, also under his belt. I think I think Brian Dable is going to have his pick of the litter. And I look at does that Chicago job come open? You have a chance to coach up Justin Fields. Mm. Does that New York? Does that New York Giants job come open? You get a chance to go to New York 
hopefully with a new GM that's not named David Gettleman. You could bring <laughs> Mitch Trubisky with you. You could maybe yeah. try to resurrect Daniel Jones. You can kind of dick around for a year until a better quarterback class comes along in 2023. Honestly. I, new England. Yeah, I, I'm being dead serious. If right. you're Robert Kraft, if the New England Patriots don't make the playoffs this year, if the New if, if Bill Belichick doesn't turn this, just doesn't write the ship. I understand that everyone thinks that, oh, Josh McDaniels is the head coach in waiting. If you're Robert Kraft and Bill Belichick has made your life as much as you've enjoyed the winning, as much as you've enjoyed all of that, Bill Belichick's an asshole. And like you probably have not enjoyed yourself as much as you could have enjoyed yourself over the past 20 years. Do you want to subject yourself to another 20 years of that under Dude. Josh McDaniels? <laughs> like he might he might want to hit the reset button and start from scratch. And there's a little bit of familiarity there with Brian Dable having coached under Bill Belichick, but he's nothing like Bill Belichick. Um, so a, a guy like Brian Dable working with Mac Jones in New England, if they want to hit that reset button, if Bill Belichick can't turn it around. There's a ton of different opportunities, and I think Brian uh, Brian Dable's gonna have his pick of the litter. My God, I don't know why I just had the weirdest vision as you're saying all that. You know, like in Lord of the Rings, Return of the King, the tower is falling. I just had <laughs> like in the middle, like where Sauron is, and it's and the tower is falling. It's like Belichick's just super sad face, just like just grumpy, growing to the ground, and everything's <laughs> crumbling around him. And you know, the entire dynasty of the Patriots is about to crumble. And then you just look at Aragon's face, and it's Brian Dable, and he's just like, "Oh my gosh, my opportunities come." <laughs> <laughs> it's just like one of those things. It's like, you know, poetic justice. And you're seeing the problem, uh, you know, the problem. No, the problem for the Bills was Tom Brady. But, you know, the success <laughs> for the Patriots was Tom Brady. We're all seeing that now. Quarterback driven league. It definitely is one of those. So um, we got to talk about a couple of things before we get into this Titans matchup real quick. So well, a couple of things. It's probably going to tie in this. But with the easiest schedule, it looks like as far as I saw, mm-hmm. um, I looked at a lot of teams, looked at a lot of um rivals and looks like the, the bills have post the Titans game, the easiest schedule to steal the number one seed from the AFC um, to possibly, maybe we can go to the playoffs in Buffalo back to back games. Um, how do you feel about that? Yeah, you no offense. You use the word steal in the <laughs> notes and I don't know if steals the proper word. I think the expectation is that the Buffalo bills are going to be the number one seed in the AFC. I get that they're not number one right now, and I get that the LA Chargers are are playing the way the LA Chargers are playing, but a gauntlet of a schedule in the AFC West, having to play the Broncos and having to play the Chiefs and 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 teams like that, the Chargers have. Uh, the Browns have a tough schedule having to go through the AFC North with teams like the Ravens. The Ravens have to deal with the Browns, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. The Buffalo Bills have a clear path. I mean, uh, we had this conversation on Monday on the Air Raid Hour. To me, the Titans game, I personally maybe this is my hubris getting ahead of me and I made an ass of myself being so confident walking into that Steelers game week one. (laughs) I'm not concerned with the Titans. I don't think the Titans are good. I think they're a house of cards team. Kind of like I thought the Pittsburgh Steelers were a house of card team. It just took Pittsburgh a week to to realize they were a house of cards. Um, But outside of Tampa Bay, I mean, you look at the schedule, my expectation for the Buffalo Bills, because I understand it's the NFL and it's hard to win every game in the National Football League, despite the historic pace we're on. Yeah. Anything less than three losses for the Buffalo Bills this year is an utter disappointment with the with the way the rest of our schedule lies, barring barring a major injury, obviously. Anything less than three, three losses is an epic failure. I mean, <laughs> like uh, I'm being serious because you just you look at it and it's like the AFC is yours. Take it. It's yours. Go yeah. get it. Like if you can't. I'm going to have a hard time picking you to, to, to win the Super Bowl once the playoffs roll around. If you can't win this, this AFC with, with the hand you're dealt right now. 
Well, you know, and, and that's something that obviously is going to fall on coaching. The talent's there. Uh, the preparation has to be there. We can't be letting up on some of these teams and, you know, thinking they're going to be cheap and easy. We learned our lesson in week one, what that was like. So, uh, you know, obviously, you know, this game for me is going to, you know, we're going straight into the bye week after, you know, the momentum, the Buffalo mm-hmm. Bills will be able to swing off a win in Tennessee after going to Kansas City. I mean, who wants to face the Bills after that? And even and- in the playoffs, you're looking at those games, even if they have a bump or two in the road after, you know, a couple of weeks coming back from the bye week. I still I don't want to face the Buffalo and, Bills in the playoffs. Are you kidding me? And that could be a good barometer of what to expect from this Buffalo Bills team. If we come out on Monday Night Football and we're kind of just like Pittsburgh Steelers 2.0, we're just kind of like nonchalant, like, yeah, our big game was last week and we're kind of just, you know, here, you know, p- putting forth uh, our, you know, ho-hum effort. It, I want the Buffalo Bills to come out and I want them to play with the same fire they played with against the Kansas City Chiefs. I don't want there to be any semblance of a let up you just showed the afc who was boss last week don't give them any reason to start slotting the la chargers ahead of you you are the big dogs in the afc do what the big dogs do and go and handle your business on prime time and have and string two big games together in a row if they go out there and have a letdown and you know well they have the bye week they'll wake up it'll be a good wake-up call you know blah blah they'll learn their lesson I'm sick and tired of teams that have to learn their lesson. Yeah, we learned our lesson after week one. I don't want to have to learn my lesson again. That should be it. If you're a championship caliber team, that should be it. You shouldn't have to learn your lesson twice. Absolutely. Um, you know, teams all are team great teams will still have hiccups, you know, along the way. You look at, you know, obviously <laughs> the Miami Dolphins always upsetting the Patriots late in the season, and it's just like, what the hell is really going on here? But mm-hmm. things can happen. But again, it comes down to the game plan and the coaching um, up to those games to make sure people are on par. Uh, you know, I, I definitely, yeah, I say steal the number one seed, by the way, because I really feel like it's that's what it's going to feel like to everyone else, not to <laughs> anyone who's supporting the Buffalo Bills. You know, yeah. but to everyone, oh my God, it should have it should have gone here, it should have gone there, like whatever. Um, but you know, we're focusing now on Tennessee. Oh man, what a what a shit show last year with the chiefs game and then the Titans game and um, with COVID protocol and all these things happening, it just feels like this is going to be the sweetest revenge we've had in a very, very long time. And I'm going to freaking love it. And (laughs) you know, this is it. Let's yeah, let's go play in Tennessee again. That's Mm. fine. That's fine. Um, Especially uh, considering the circumstances last year, I want to go back in there and I want to show them who's boss. Now, Let's talk about the first question here, right? Who poses the biggest threat to the Titans running attack? Um, gosh. I guess if I had to pick one guy, I'm going with that Oliver. I'm going with that Oliver. You see the way that he was messing up the running attack for the Kansas City Chiefs. But at the same time, it's it's that triangle in the middle there with Starla Tulele, Ed Oliver, and Tremaine Evans. Those are the three. And they've also had success. Like, Everyone's so Derrick Henry's first of all is on pace for his second career, second consecutive 2000 yard season. Even if we were playing a 16 game season, he's still on pace for 2000. The man is a freaking machine. It's unbelievable. But the Buffalo Bills are his kryptonite. Like he's got like 52, 78, like 80. Like he does not have good games against the Buffalo Bills because the Buffalo Bills make the Tennessee Titans one dimensional and then typically shut down the other dimension. Last year, not so much because 
Trey White wasn't playing. I don't think Levi Wallace was playing, or maybe he was. I don't know. I just remember Josh Norman getting burned left and right. But still, if you're the Buffalo Bills, you got to feel confident that you can shut down Eric Henry because you've done it three times. Um, so to me, it's Ed Oliver, Starla Tulele, and, and Terrain Emmons just doing what they, they've done every year up to this point because we have never had an issue with Derrick Henry. Yeah, yeah, we haven't, and I think it's, it's this is the Bills' opportunity to prove to the world, all right, we're not going to shoot ourselves in the foot against great teams two games in a row. And this is how you do it. You stop the Titans' running attack. And I think who poses the biggest threat, if he's available, Sean, is Matt Milano. <laughs> okay? Matt Milano, sideline to sideline, mano y mano. Dude, if that guy goes one-on-one on Derrick Henry, you're not going to see a freaking stiff arm. You're going to see that guy fall flat on his ass, and it's going to be great. It's going to feel amazing because I really feel like the defensive line is going to plug up the holes, and he's going to have no choice but to go up one-on-one. One, he's going to have to go one-on-one. I, I, I'm pretty sure we're going to end up running a lot of nickel attack. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Excuse me. And um, I feel like what's going to happen is a lot of rotation with those linebackers to be prepared for the play action, but also be prepared to stop Derrick Henry up the middle. I don't think we're going to have a real big. I don't think they're going to try to run run laterally against us. I think that's going to be a big, uh, big no no for them. I don't think they're going to try to do that. Now, if they feel mm-hmm. confident enough, you know, good luck, especially if Matt Milano's on the field with Tremaine Edmonds. But I feel like they're going to test Latulale early. Um, they're going to test Ed Oliver early, and um, maybe even go at the rookie. But you know, good luck with that because you saw what he did last week. So you know, um, Gregory Rousseau versus Kendall Lamb. Give me Gregory Rousseau every time. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And he's emerging and um, it's starting to click. He's, he's finding his niche in the defense, but it also does help when you have 11 guys, you can switch around on the defensive line. <laughs> Let's be real yeah, as well. Choosing, choosing, uh, choosing Julio Jones over Jack Conklin was not the smartest decision the Tennessee Titans have ever made. Oof. Yeah. I, I, you know, it actually ties into the next point here, talking about Julio Jones, because mm-hmm. we're going to talk about Ryan Tannehill here. So, how could Ryan Tannehill have any success versus Buffalo's defense? Clean pockets, plenty of time. I mean, that's about it. Um, yeah. You know, if, if Derek can, most statistics will tell you that you could have success in the play action game, even without a successful running game. And Ryan Tannehill, um, you know, he had success in the play, play action against the Bills last year. So, I mean, it's just to, to me, it's going to be muddy in the pocket. It's going to be making him feel uncomfortable. It's going to be not giving him a lot of time to, 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 to move the football. Like don't, don't let him lock onto one read. Don't let him have time to sit back and find a guy who comes open, um, you know, get in his face, get him on the move and uh, you know, just do what you do as a defense. I, to, to me, the only success Ryan Tannehill has against the Buffalo Bills defense is if they, they just give him all the time in the world. And I just don't see it happening. Yeah, you know, if you're going to ask me about what I what I feel Ryan Tannehill has to do <laughs> to get any success in this game, um, you know, let's let's eliminate the Derrick Henry factor real quick, which is obviously 80% of their offense. Um, I'm dinking and I'm dunking and I'm throwing screens at the Bills because that's all I got. Um, AJ Brown, yeah, maybe he gets up top. Uh, maybe Julio Jones uh, is able to win one on one, but I'm not believing that that's going to get going right away. That's the number one thing I'm not doing against this Bills defense. That That's number one in takeaways in the NFL right now. Um, but 
here's the here's the bugaboo with Ryan Tannehill. The guy's already been sacked twenty times yep. this year. A ton. Twenty times. I, I would almost say chunk plays with his legs because you saw like Tyler Heineke was able to move up in the pocket and yeah. and he just couldn't hit. He had receivers down the field and he just couldn't hit. If you allow Ryan Tannehill to climb the pocket or you allow Ryan Tannehill to run and get some chunk plays and get his confidence rolling, that could be uh, a scenario in which you run into some trouble with Ryan Tannehill. Okay, cool. So now we're getting into the part of this discussion where it feels like we're we're bringing you know the boxer back into the corner and we're trying to hit him with the haymaker. So what should the Bills do early in the game or, you know, Throughout the game, I, I could say early or throughout the game to make sure they establish themselves as the victors in this game. Um, they throw the football a ton, <laughs> like, and they just like I, I, I get that you want to be balanced and you want to you want to show them multiple things, et cetera, et cetera. But I mean, if you look at this Tennessee Titans team, their weakness is the secondary. Uh, I mean, Jack Rabbit Jenkins and uh, Caleb Farley now just coming back and, and Fulton. Mm-hmm. At corner, like it just throw, 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 throw. Uh, <laughs> Stefan Diggs should have 15 targets this game. Um, you know, we keep saying this is going to be Stefan Diggs's breakout week, week after week after week, and it just never comes. And he's still putting up like super stupid solid numbers. <laughs> like, I mean, if you project his season out all the way till the end, it's a, a Pro Bowl season, but we're waiting for that like New England three touchdown performance from Stefan Diggs that you know he's capable of. Just feed the dude like fifth. I'm, I'm, I, go, go Ben Roethlisberger, Antonio Brown back in the day. Give the dude 15 to 20 targets. Like just feed you th- dude, like Jack rabbit going to cover him. Like uh, <laughs> Kilo Farley going to cover him. Christian Fulton going to cover him. And if they double him up, go find Cole Beasley, go find Dawson Knox, go find Emmanuel Sanders. Just throw, 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 throw. That is how you will beat the Tennessee Titans. You know what? If I'm going into this bye week with a ton of confidence in the offense, I think that the way to knock this team out early on and late in the game is to get Emmanuel Sanders one-on-one with someone because when he gets it, it's a touchdown or it's a big play. They are clicking. Something is, and I talked about this in one of my first podcasts. Well, my my first podcast because you know some stuff has come up, but look for the season. And look, here is the thing with Emmanuel Sanders. He has figured out the Josh Allen. Like if you look at the past, he's had quarterbacks and I've talked about this before. They've had to figure him out, right? You got, uh, Ben Roethlisberger, Drew Brees, and, uh, how am I, how am I spotting here? Peyton Manning, right? I mean, you got, you got three Mm -hmm. amazing quarterbacks that were able to figure out how to feed him the ball. The thing with Josh Allen is he's an absolute enigma. He's an anomaly. Like he makes no sense to anyone. He's, he's still not the number one quarterback in anyone's eyes. He's, he is in our eyes. But, you know, the fact of the matter is that he's figured out Josh Allen. And the way you know that is because when he's one-on-one, he knows where to get to against a defensive back to make Josh Allen feel comfortable to throw the football. Mm-hmm. That I mean, is something that I love about him. Yeah. And look, and that's what Cole Beasley's done to his credit. Obviously he had a, you know, a, a terrible game last last week, but look, a lot of Josh Allen's uh, you know, success was not predicated on Josh Allen figuring out Cole Beasley. It was Cole Beasley figuring out, "Wait, where can I get to make him feel comfortable to throw me the football?" Because he's had no one when he first came in, obviously, you know, you know the next year 
uh, after his, his second year, um, he had nobody, right? And, and, and you're trying to bring him in, uh, you know, bring him in and bring him, you know, make him feel comfortable inside the offense. And, and that's exactly what happens, right? When you bring a, a guy like Cole Beasley in, and it's, that's, that's what I feel about Emmanuel Sanders, get him one-on-one. Um, and I think it's going to happen. I, I really feel like this could be a bigger game, in my opinion, for Sanders than it is for Diggs. I feel like Diggs is drawing way too much attention. They are terrified of letting that guy get loose. They'd rather lose, uh, lose to the Bills by the Bills, you know, throwing 15 times to Emmanuel Sanders and throwing 15 times to Stephon Diggs. That's just my opinion. Yeah, I mean, three three of the better route runners in football and Colby Beasley, Stephon Diggs, and Emmanuel Sanders. And you have a quarterback who understands, like, how to, uh, you know, maneuver through a pocket and to buy time and to roll out of the pocket. And he's really good at throwing on the run. And you just have three veteran savvy receivers who, when a quarterback is holding onto the ball for as long as Josh Allen holds onto the ball sometimes with success and gets out of the pocket, they know exactly where to move to, to beat a defense that is clearly like how many times this year has the defense played good defense, but the cornerbacks just had to cover for too long. And Stefan Diggs is smart and Emmanuel Sanders is smart. Uh, and they, and they just pick them, they just find, find the, find the hole in the defense, pick them apart. I mean, you mm-hmm. saw the Dawson Knox touchdown that yeah. was straight up just like Kansas State did everything right mm-hmm. until they had to hold on to the ball for too long. And Daniel Sorensen made one tiny little mistake, 75 yard touchdown. Like it, that's yeah. just what the bills, the, the Josh Allen can do to you. Uh, and, and, and those three veteran receivers just make it so much easier. Absolutely. And um, I guess we can wrap up this Titans matchup real quick and then we'll talk about one last point here. Um, yeah. So who shines and who potentially gets shut down by the Titans? I'm going to say the player that shines is going to be Gregory Rousseau again. Uh, I think he is going to have himself a day against Kendall Lamb. You could possibly throw AJ Epinesa into that mix if AJ Epinesa gets some snaps at left end. I think whoever goes up against Kendall Lamb, as long as the NFL officials don't allow him to just hold, uh, are going to have <laughs> success. And I think they're going to make Ryan Tannehill's day uh, pretty miserable. I think you could see multiple sacks uh, coming from whoever is facing off against Kendall Lamb. Uh, I'm, I'm going to guess Gregory Rousseau. And I think you could see a forced fumble from uh, whatever edge defender gets around Kendall Lamb and gets to Ryan Tannehill. So I, I, I think that uh, Kendall Lamb would be the position that I'd be trying to exploit. I'd be running uh, a gap and I, I, I'd be running uh, stunts on him. I'd, I'd be doing, I'd be throwing the kitchen sink at Kendall Lamb uh, and exploiting Kendall Lamb on the right side of that offensive line and, and just trying to utilize him to, to get to Ryan Tannehill and to make his life miserable. Uh, as for a player who could be invisible, I'm going to go with De- Devin Singletary and Zach Moss. Uh, I think the Buffalo Bills game plan is going to be throw, 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 throw. I don't think there's going to be as many opportunities for the running backs. And I mean, they got some pretty good guys up front and got in Danico Autry and, and Bud Dupree and, and Simmons and uh, Harold Landry. So I don't think the running game is going to be as potent this week. Uh, I think you're gonna see the Bills pass, pass, pass. Nice, nice, nice. All right. So I'll give you mine real quick here. I, look, as much as I want Sanders to have a big game because that's what I believe the Bills should do to make themselves uh, victors and establish themselves next week, I, I'm going to say who shines the most against the Titans. Okay, it's a cop out. All right, stop. All right, don't throw, don't throw tomatoes at me, guys. It's Josh Allen. He's on a revenge tour. This will be the game where I really think he 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 just continues to show how much he's actually developed. Um, you know, a game in Kansas City where you see a beautiful pass to Emmanuel Sanders 
on a play where on a drive, excuse me, where you don't feel like the bills are going to answer. You think things are going to stall out and he throws a beautiful strike. It almost looks like he threw it. You know how Larry bird back in the day would shoot the basketball from behind his head. It almost looked, if you look at that play, it looks like Josh Allen threw it from behind his head and it just floated and just fell in the bread and the bread basket uh, for Emmanuel Sanders. And I just feel that Josh Allen is starting to click on the one thing I was hoping for going into this year that I believe is the next step for him to reach a Super Bowl in its ball placement. I think this is a game where he can really hone in on that and make it happen. So you say pass, 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 pass. I feel it. And I'm going with Josh Allen. And uh, I think who potentially gets shut down here, you know what? I, I'm You're going to hate me here, but um, I kind of think they're going to attack Gregory Rousseau again. Um, I'm, I'm kind of against it. Yeah, because here's the thing. I, I After seeing you know who's on the line, the first thing I know they're going to look at is where are we going to run this football towards? You don't want to go to Jerry Hughes. Jerry Hughes has faced you plenty of times, and you're not going to stuff him. You're not going to stuff. Uh, you know, you're not going to. You're not going to. You know, bull over Latule. You're not going to bull over Oliver if he's one on one. So you go with who has the least experience on that line when he's on the line, and Derrick Henry's ready to go. It's not Mario Addison. You're going at Gregory Russo. Um, so that's who I believe could be shut down by the Titans. Does that potentially mean that he'll allow big play? No, I'm not saying that, but I definitely think it, it could be a learning curve for the young guy. Um, yeah. I hope I'm wrong. Don't get me wrong, but I just feel like if I'm the Titans and I'm playing devil's advocate here and I need to get Henry going, I'm going to the weakest point, I think, that is on that defensive line, and I'm going at the rookie. Um, yeah. So that's kind of how I feel. I- you know, I wanna, also I, Boogie Basham, I, yeah. you know, I'm going, you know, if Boogie Basham is playing. I'm, I'm throwing, you know, I don't want to cop out and say, okay, I'm saying a lot of cop outs here, but I'm not <laughs> saying, you know, Gregory Rousseau, but I'm just saying I'm going for the rookie. I say Gregory Rousseau, but you know, if Boogie Basham's there too, I'm going at the rookie again. Uh, you know, it's just one of those things you, you got to go where you feel your guy can have the best chance to get to the second level, third level. Yeah. I, the only thing I would say to counter that is not to sound too petty, but I yep. wonder if their offensive coordinator, Town Downey, is they even that smart? Not smart enough to do that. <laughs> I don't know if he is. Well, it could be. A, I could don't be have. A I don't have a lot of respect for Todd Downey as a, well, as well, a play caller. Well, if you're Tannehill and they give you the rights, I mean, you just switch it. Hey, look yeah. at the line. Okay, I'm going to run it this way. Audible. You know, slap my ass. Here we go. Go to the right. <laughs> and there you go. But you know, that's something simple he can do. But again, yeah, you're probably right. What if they're strict about the game plan and they're saying, no, we're running it where I want it, where I want you to run it. Um, totally understand, you know, and yeah, I don't, I don't know if he's too smart either. I think when you allow your quarterback uh, to get sacked, you know, 20 times, you're not figuring out, um, how to get, you know, get him free. It's, it's pretty difficult there. Okay. So we're talking, we're done talking about the Titans. Um, I'm sick of the Titans. I hate the Titans. Everyone hates the Titans. Oh, right? I, hate them too, man. I, hate them. <laughs> I know I've seen you online on Twitter and you're always just ranting about how much you hate them. It's great. <laughs> But, oh, man, uh, I want to talk about beer, so we got to get this podcast over with. No, I'm just joking. Um, <laughs> look, man, we got to talk about Josh Allen and winning the MVP this year. I, I Look, analyze this question I'm asking. Does Josh Allen outperform? Now, I'm going to mention two names here. It could be more, obviously. But does Josh Allen outperform Kyler Murray and Rodgers to win the MVP this year? No. Uh, and I think the reason for that is uh, the, I, there's a lot of factors. And I think the, the biggest factor is the opponents. 
So you see the Buffalo Bills have the weaker opponents. And you think to yourself, well, Josh Allen's going to put up better statistics. But, I mean, if the Bills are handling teams like they handled the Houston Texans, the Miami Dolphins, et cetera, et cetera, you could see a more balanced Buffalo Bills offense where they don't, um, you know, they don't ask Josh Allen to do a, a, a ton of crazy things and, and throw for a ton of yards. He's just super efficient. And, you know, he gets his three, four touchdowns a game, which I don't know, maybe could put him in could put him in MVP contention, but probably not. Why? Because you have guys like Kyler Murray and Aaron Rodgers who are playing more difficult schedules, who have a chance to get into shootouts with other teams mm-hmm. and have a chance to lead game winning drives and have a chance to do the things that, you know, get you onto Sports Center. Um, so while Josh Allen might clean up, he's going to be cleaning up uh, like the third, the third or fourth game into a, you know, a fastest two minute segment. The guys who are going to be getting the biggest, uh, you know, uh, spotlight are going to be the guys leading game winning drives and things of that nature. And I just don't know if Josh Allen's going to be in a position to do that with our schedule. Yeah. You know, you make a good point and you almost wish that efficiency versus getting on sports center and having a shootout, uh, plays more of a factor into that voting. Especially look, if Mitch Trubisky, for let's say for 10 weeks is getting on the field for Josh Allen at the end of the game. If, if that isn't a factor going into the MVP voting, I think it's a joke, but you make a point the statistics speak volume. So I have to agree with you. Maybe he doesn't win it this year based off of the schedule. Um, and you know, yeah, it's, it sounds a little arrogant with what we're saying. Like, yeah, I mean, our schedule is too easy and we're probably going to want to, you know, ease it down towards the end of the game and just win the game, get out of there healthy, focus on the playoffs. I agree with you there, um, especially uh, when, when you have teams in the NFC that are, I mean, they're, they're, they're going, they're going, they're just clawing at each other. I mean, they're beating each other to a bloody pulp and you have these quarterbacks running all over the place, making every play possible to win the game and they're running out of the game. Uh, you know, like Lamar Jackson, I don't know if you saw the game or <laughs> uh, the other day, but oh my God, mm-hmm. you're down I think it was 24 or 22 to nine and you come back and win it overtime. Yep. Uh, and that's, okay. That's, those are just the things I don't think Josh Allen's going to have to deal with. Right. Um, and this is going to sound super arrogant and uh, it just is what it is. Josh Allen could take the rest of the season off and the Buffalo bills would still be first, second or third seed in the AFC with Mitch Trubisky starting the rest of the games this year. Wow. I mean, and when you, when you talk about most valuable player in the league, if the Buffalo Bills are still going to win double digits, the, if, 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 if you're like me and still honestly think the Buffalo Bills could win double digit games with Mitchell Trubisky as their starting quarterback, is Josh Allen really the most valuable player? Mm. Um, you know, a, a lot of times MVPs don't play on the best teams in the league. Why? Like last year, Aaron Rodgers, like that Packers team wasn't the best team in the league. He was willing that team because their defense sucked. And <laughs> I think that we'll have our chance down the road three or four years from now when the salary cap starts to come into play and we can't pay guys. Josh Allen's going to have to do some Aaron Rodgers stuff in order for us to be successful. But this year, I just don't think he's going to have to do it. Like I really do think, and again, I don't want to sound arrogant and this is not the Buffalo bills mindset. Yeah. I think we're jogging to the one seed. Like the bills are going to do every, the bills are going to do everything the right way. They're, they're going to do everything the right way. But we as fans, we're jogging to the one seed. Like that schedule is not that difficult. What Meanwhile, having to go up against the 49ers defense, uh, I guess Seattle's kind of toast now, but having to go up against the LA Rams, the Cardinals are going to be scratching and clawing. Uh, you know, you look at Aaron Rodgers and that Packers team. 
Chicago still got a good defense and they're still hanging in there. Um, you know, it, the rest of their divisions, not so much, but the NFC is tough. There's a lot of good teams in the NFC. They're going to be scratching and clawing the rest of the year. Um, so the Buffalo bills just aren't going to have to rely on Josh Allen the way that I think some of these other teams are going to have to rely on their quarterbacks. Yeah. I just, I just feel like, you know, at the end of the day, the Buffalo bills deserve to be in this position right now. And as fans, it's okay to feel like the top dog now, guys. It's okay. <laughs> We're the top dog. Stop feeling like you're the underdog anymore. You know, it's fine. They've worked hard. They earned this position. And at the end of the day, uh, you know, it, that this is how the Pats have felt forever, right? Always feeling like, and that's the thing. Take care of your division and everything else will take care of itself. And guess what? This is what happens when you take care of your division and you stay on top of, you know, making sure you're several steps ahead of them. Because even if you lose a game, but you dominate your division, you're back in the playoffs, you're fine. But when it goes right outside of your division and in the conference, you're golden. So, uh, you know, this is where the Bills are. It's great. We're not going to look over the Titans. Uh, you know, they're definitely not some pushovers. I believe A.J. Brown is going to be active. Um, maybe that plays a huge factor. But I do see that Julio Jones was injured. Maybe they play him, they activate him. Who knows? But if he's not playing, uh, good luck to him. Um, you know, at the end of the day, the Bills, I feel like they're going to execute. Um, and I feel like going into this week, uh, there's a lot of confidence, but there needs to be a lot of humbleness. And I, and I think it's there after seeing every single, um, you know, post-game interview so far. So confidence is there. The humbleness is there. Uh, the hunger is there. Let's hope it stays there. Going into the bye week, Steve, Judge, Mates, thank you so much for your time. Till, if you hear me, we love you. Hang in there with your son. Trust me, I just went through that last week with my son. Uh, you know, he got, a, he got a really strong cold, so we had to take a week and a half off uh, just to take care of him. But, um, you know, please give everyone your Twitter handle, the whole nine on where to find you, your content. Uh, it's such an honor to have you once again on Buff Hub. Yeah, no, thank you so much. I appreciate it. You can find my personal Twitter at Judge uh, Mathis, M-A-T-H-E-S, not I-S. Uh, you can find our show handle at The Bills Guys on Twitter. As much as I try to do the Instagram thing and the Facebook thing, I fail every time. <laughs> we don't have any of those. Uh, and then you can find our show on the Buffalo Fanatics YouTube page every Monday and every Thursday at 9 p.m. Uh, we go live. And we're going to have to have you on one of these weeks as our guest picker. Every Thursday we do a guest picker. You're hey. be your guest picker one of these weeks. Let's go, dude. You know, I'm down. Let me know. <laughs> I'm down. I'm there. And ladies and gentlemen, this was another episode of Buff Hub, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. Have a great West. West? No, I'm out West. So yeah, I say, I say West a lot. Have a great <laughs> rest of your weekend. Let's go, Bills. And also, I want to say this one time. I haven't done it ever, but I'm going to do it. I'm going to try to whisper it. Nobody circles the wagons like the Buffalo Bills. Okay, cool, cool. I wanted to do it one time just because ever since I see him on Barstool do that. But um, good vibes everywhere. Good vibes to you. Go Bills. Have a great rest of your weekend. Go Bills.